It is really good to be here. We've come to call this place home. Uh, of course, we have a long history here, uh, going back a lot of years, 25, 30 years even, uh, before we moved away. I'll talk a little bit about that. There are probably three or four sermons I've never preached before that I would love to preach this morning, one of them. And probably another half dozen I've preached maybe one time I'd love to share with you. Uh, but uh, I can't. I've got to share with you uh, what I feel the Lord wants me to share with you today personally. Uh, some of you know a little bit about us. I'll get to that. But I want to pray first. Father, we pray today that you be glorified in what's said and done. I pray, Lord, that you'll give ears to hear and hearts to understand. Because it's all for your glory. Nothing else matters. Our lives are for your glory. What you do in our lives is for your glory. And that's why we don't see a lot done today, Lord, like we used to. Because today we've made it about us. But it's if you can be glorified, you'll do it. And Lord, we just pray you be honored in this place. In Jesus' name. I hope you listened to all this praise and worship uh, this morning because it was very powerful. Have you ever given any thought in what's made you who you are? I want you to think about for just a couple minutes all the ingredients, so to speak, for lack of a better word, that's went into your life to make you who you are. I mean, there's... There's so many things that affect your outcome. And the goal of what I'm going to share with you today is I want you to leave here knowing that you're okay being you. It's okay to be who you are. Now, so many elements, they're uncountable, immeasurable have made you the product that you are today. And there's no two of us the same. There's absolutely no two people on earth the same. We all have different fingerprints from a a physical standpoint. Nobody has your exact DNA but you. You are distinct and you are unique. In who you are. Now, it's funny, we can see from a very basic level, I'll just use Pam and and Scott raised three children. You can look from the outside and see that there are similarities. Uh, it, it would be hard to say that, that Chase and Heath aren't brothers. You can see that. You can see the similarities. But I'll bet you they both, along with Whitney, have distinct and unique differences. They were raised in the same home, raised by the same parents, sat at the same table, had the same grandparents, had the same cousins, you name it, but yet those three individuals grew up to be distinctly different. Can you imagine around the world other cultures, other nations, the things that have went into people's lives that make them be the product they are at any given point. I know people uh, uh, that have worked at the same place for the same amount of time, and one has prospered, and the other one wouldn't have a nickel. Put on his eyes if he died. And we'll say things like, well, I don't understand. He, he's made the same amount of money. I have had the same opportunities. But people are different. We don't know what goes into people's lives when they are children. We don't know how they are loved, if they are loved. We don't know what they were fed. We don't know what happened to them at school. We don't know what they dream about in the middle of the night. We don't know what everybody's fears and everybody's concerns are. And all these things go in to make us who we are 
and cause us to be very different. Several years ago, I read a story. Make hair stand up on us Pentecostals' head, if we had any. There was a man that pastored a successful church, but it had stopped growing. And he read about the churches in Scotland, and they were growing with leaps and bounds. People being saved. So he loaded up three board members, made arrangements to meet with one of the larger churches, the pastor there in Scotland. He wanted to talk to him about how in the world they were doing what they were doing to make their church grow. So they loaded up on an airplane, they, they flew to Scotland, they picked him up to the airport, they brought him to the pastor's home and, and, and they started with all these questions and the pastor said, wait, 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 there's time for that. There's time for that. We're going to have dinner first. My kind of guy. So they sat down to a meal and they tried to ask questions. He said, no, 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 there'll be time to talk later. So they took a long time for the meal, which was their custom. You know, we were accustomed to fast food. You know, we want it now, we want it quick. But some people still enjoy the meal. They finally finished and they went back into his study. Now there's time to talk to this pastor. And he does the unthinkable to us Pentecostals. He reaches in his cabinet and pulls out a bottle of brandy and four glasses. And he pours a little brandy in them glasses and he gets out four cigars. And he passes them out. And the pastor, no, 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 no. We don't do that. That's not, that's not right. That's not, he said, listen, you came to me. In our culture, this is how we fellowship. If you want to gain the trust of anybody around here, you will take time to sip a little brandy, puff an old cigar, because that's how we do our conversations in our business. Oh God, every one of us, we done bought a ticket back home. But people are different. Cultures are different. Preaching is different. Churches are different. Not just around the world, but down the road. But for some reason, for some reason, we think, and we're all guilty, we think when somebody comes through that door back there, they got to be just like me. Yeah, and if they're not, we look at them funny. Because they're different. You see, we all have an imaginary line drawn in our spiritual walk. Now, you may not admit it. You may not know it. You may deny it, but I promise you it is real. If you are a Christian, you have an imaginary line drawn of what everything below it is wrong and everything above it is right. And that's your line. And when somebody comes into your presence, whether you realize it or not, you judge them according to your line. Oh my God, I couldn't do that and be a Christian. We say things like, oh Lord, you see what they had on? Do you see what color their hair was this week? Yeah. How short that dress was? Whatever. The things that we mentally, we don't mean to. But we do it. We have a line. You have a disciplinary line drawn for your life that you feel confident when you walk above it. And you feel bad and condemned and chastised when you walk below it. But you drew the line. And we all have one. And unfortunately, we judge other people by our line. Years ago, it was an old sainted woman we took to church. Me, Millie and I picked her up. She'd wore dresses her whole life. Some of you older Pentecostals remember when Pentecostal church hounded on that. 
And women started wearing pants to church, and she made a statement one time. She said, I don't know why God would tell me not to wear pants and let all the other women. Now, be, me being the humble and shy person I am, I told her, sister, maybe God didn't tell you that to start with. Oh, but that was her line. And if you ladies didn't wear a dress, you were below the line. You all have one, but it's understandable. I'm not trying to make you feel bad because we've been trained to have a line. We've been trained that way. We live under instruction that causes us to draw a line that everybody above it is saved, sanctified, filled with the Holy Ghost, going to heaven, and everybody below it is destined for the furnaces of hell. That's how we've been trained. And we don't think anybody can be saved if they ain't above our line. Because why would God tell me to live this way if it's not for everybody? But we've been trained that way. If you've been brought up in church, you have been instructed to create that line. You may not realize it. It may not dawn on you. But you have a line. And why? Because your church has a line. When I say church, I'm not talking just about voice of praise. I'm talking about the church's drawn lines. We have a manual, which is a line that the I, well, I say we, I'm no longer part of the IPHC, but the IPHC has a line drawn, it's called a manual. And you got to do what's in that manual to stay above the line. And if you don't do what's in that manual, you're below the line. You're in bad standing. So we've been trained that way because our churches have been trained that way, because our denominations have been trained that way. Our denominations have a line. If you're in the church of Christ, you got to be baptized. Or, <laughs> or you're hopeless. If you're a seven-day Adventist, their line is uh, you got to worship on the sa- actual Sabbath, Friday evening to Saturday evening. And they believe that Sunday is the mark of the beast. And anybody that worships on Sunday is under control of the devil. That's their line. They drew it. We can go all day long and talk about the lines. That's why there's over 30,000 denominations in the world today. They all have a line. And if you want to be a part of their movement, you got to be above the line. you got to walk the chalk. Walk the part. And when you don't, you're judged. Isn't it amazing how much we judge people and don't realize it? You ever think about it? Oh, brother, I don't judge nobody. I don't judge nobody. I mean, people ought to know better than to do that. That's a judgment. That's your assessment. That you plan, applying your line to somebody else's life. So whose line is right? Is Heath's line right? I, you know I gotta pick on him. Madison had her line real low when she found Heath. No. Whose line's right? Brother Mike? Scott? Whose line's right, Kathy? No, mine's the one's right. That's how we feel. But there is a line drawn, but you didn't draw it. There is a line drawn, but your church didn't draw it. There is a line drawn, but your denomination didn't draw it. There's a line drawn, and that line has a name, and that name is Jesus Christ. God drew a line, and he, the line is His Son, and i got news for you. I don't care how long you've had your line. You fall beneath God's line. All of us do. That's why God said, I have concluded all to be under sin, that I might have mercy on everybody. 
So I want you to understand that you all fall short of the actual line. Oh, brother, I'm saved. I, I speak in tongues. I tithe. I don't care. <laughs> you toot your horn all you want to. You still fall short of the glory of God. You may be above your line, but you are always below His. Because you need what He has. You can't get above the line without Him. So God put us in Him. We are in Christ. We have become a part of the line. We don't draw the line. But God has had mercy on us and raised us up to sit together with Him in the heavenly place. Not because we know everything that's right to do. I look this... Brother Morris back here has this beautiful beard. First church I went to, their line said no beards. So... When I tried, at, at, at 18 years old, when I tried to grow a scraggly beard, I was looked upon like, eh, me, you ain't supposed to have a beard. Women, you ain't supposed to cut your hair. You ain't supposed to wear that makeup. These are things we've heard all of our life in our churches. You're not supposed to wear jewelry. You can't go swimming. You can't go to a movie. You can't eat out. You gotta walk around all puckered up like you're uh, mad at the world. Uh, that's, that's how somebody's lines are. They don't want to be around the world. We've, we've all got them, but what I'm trying to get you to see is they all fall short of what we want them to, but it's not our fault. We've been trained to do that, and we have a false sense of a security because we think we're okay because we're above our line. But i got news for us all. We've all fell short. And the only reason any of us are okay is because of Christ. He is God's standard, and you cannot reach that standard. You cannot become Him. You cannot do what He did and be who He was because He's God in the flesh. Now, all this morning, all these beautiful songs, this wonderful praise team, and the ones that Millie sang, all these songs focused on Him. And I want you to know that the church today, in many cases, focuses only on itself. Maybe not here, maybe not down the road, but somewhere. That's how the church is operating. That's the line they've drawn. Now, I said all that. Just say this. There are all kinds of things that happen in our lives that we don't have answers for. And sometimes they blow you right off your line. Sometimes they'll wake you up. They'll throw cold water in your face. Now, God blessed us with two sons. Joshua was born in 1977. And Matt was born in 1981. And I'm going to brag on us for just a minute. Because we did it right. We did it how we had been trained to do. We did it how the church instructed us to do. Both boys were dedicated the first Sunday after they were born. Both boys were raised in church, taken to church, participated in church activities. They went to Bible school like we're going to have this week. They participated in everything. Both boys never saw hypocrisy at home. And they would have told you that. They never saw us at each other's throats. They never saw us uh, going to church, being one way, and being somebody different at home. Because we're the same wherever we go. They never saw that. We're just ordinary Americans. Sarah Palin said, we're Joe the plumber, and she's Sister Joe. 
All we've ever wanted to do was be involved in church. That's all we've ever done. We don't hunt. I don't hunt. I don't fish. I don't do all the things that's fine. Tried to play golf and they finally run me off the course. But we're just ordinary people who sold out to the church when we got married in 1975. Six, excuse me. We taught our boys. Our boys went into Bible quiz in town. Remember, it used to be called Primary Bible Down. Six, seven, eight-year-olds. Our oldest son never lost a competition. Three years. Nobody could beat him. I mean, I could sit and brag about him. Sometimes he'd answer the questions before they'd ask him. Our second son, Matt, was the same way. Never lost a personal competition. Competed here. He was on this team. He went to Oklahoma City one time and won national high score. Brought the trophy back home. He went to the Olympics in Atlanta in the 90s when you guys went. Anybody here then when you went down there to street witness? Nobody here now that was... Yeah, y'all took a van load to the Olympics in Atlanta, and they stayed down there for a week and walked the streets and witnessed people. He was so pumped up, he had me cut a cross and cut all of his hair off, put a cross on the back of his head. We brought him up. We did the best we could. Our oldest, when we went to the Air Force, was Airman of the Year. But somehow, even though we did everything we thought was right, they, they made decisions. They made Choices that cause their lives to spiral downward. I won't give you all the gory details. They fell victim to addiction. Fell victim to depression. Our oldest son was clinically depressed, bipolar. Tried multiple times to take his own life. June of 2016... Was in a car wreck in a coma for ten days and before he died. Because he people had convinced him there was a line that by the time he was age forty he should have accomplished A, B, C, D, and E. And in his mind he wasn't there. And then last summer in June, our youngest son, Matt, the one that was here for several years under Tommy Chester and Rick Womack, he took his life because he found what his brother had written of everything you should be by age 40, and both of them were 39. Gave up. They were afraid for anybody to know they had a problem because everybody had a line. And they knew they'd be judged. And when they came to church, they were judged. In fact, judgment don't stop when somebody dies. We had ugly and critical things said about them after they were buried. Were they perfect? No. Did they meet the church's criteria? No. But guess what? The church's criteria don't mean the hill of beans. It's God's criteria. And it don't matter how far you are below Jesus, you're all below Him. It's, it's like this. If you're drowning and you're 50 foot under the water and somebody throws you a rope and you, that rope sinks to you, and and you grab that rope, and if they pull you up and you're still ten foot below the water, you're still drowning. You may be closer to the surface, but your outcome is going to be the same. But see, we've been trained, we make ourselves feel better when we put other people down. 
we don't mean to do that. That's just who we are. That's just how we operate. That's human nature. I feel better. You've probably said it or maybe thought it about your kids or maybe your grandkids. Well, at least they're not doing this. Try to make ourselves feel better. We don't want other people to fail. We don't want other people to bottom out. But when they do, we sort of... At least it's not me. It's human nature. I'm just trying to get you to see that we're all below God's line. We're all trying to attain Christ. Not human perfection, because you can't get there. You can't get there. Your efforts will not get you where you need to be in Christ. Only God can do it, so He put you in Christ. So, when these people come through the doors, and all these things are wrong in their lives, not just my children, not just your children, not just grandchildren. When they come to the door, we put on a face and we try to be somebody we're not. Why? Because we're afraid people are going to think less of us. People are going to judge us. And we don't mean to, but we do. What in the world are they doing here? You know, I saw them on Facebook last night in a bar with a beer on their hand. And here they are in church on Sunday morning. We don't mean to. That's just how we're programmed. But it's a wrong programming. You are not successful. You are not born again. You are not righteous in God's kingdom based on anything you have done. We were all swallowed up in holiness for so many years in, in this charismatic movement or the Pentecostal movement where, I mean, we legalized and made everything illegal down to the point but they're driving people crazy. But i got news for you. If you can do it, it's not holiness. If you can obtain holiness by what you wear, it's not holiness, it's self-righteousness. It's two different things. Only God can make you holy. And He'll make you holy no matter how messed up, how broken, how bruised, how battered you are. He'll make you holy through His Son. We are His righteousness in Christ Jesus. When God looks at us, He sees our sins have been atoned for. Churches are struggling today because they're filled with people with masks on. In the Greek, it's called a hypocrite. Because the actors on stage used to put masks on, and whoever was behind the mask you didn't know, but they was portraying a character, and they called them hypocrites. Not in the critical term like we do today, but that's what they were, because you couldn't see who was behind the mask. Well, I guarantee you, there's some masks on here today, and not just COVID masks. There are some spiritual masks on, because we've been raised to believe we can't be ourselves in church. We can't be broken in church. We can't be frustrated in church. If they knew how I was, they'd run me off is what we would think. So there are people, maybe some here today, that argued all the way to church. And, but when they got here, they come in the door with a smile. Because they want everybody to think their marriage is perfect. You ever done that? Don't lie. Fuss all the way to church. Come in, shout, worship the Lord, raise your hands, wipe the tears, and go home for us all the way home. Why? Because we think we can't be ourselves. We ought to be tired of that. If there's any place on earth a Christian could be able to be themselves, it should be here. So that's what we're doing. We're just trying to be ourselves. Two weeks ago, you heard Teen Challenge boys testify. You think they wanted to do that? You think they would have done that voluntarily? No, that's part of their training. But we ought to be able to get up there and say, Hi, my name is John Jenkins, and I'm mad. I'm mad because crap has happened in my life. I can't figure out why. 
And I'm depressed. Why? Because I buried two children. My only two sons. And I have no grandchildren. And that leaves me without a future. Without a legacy. The buck will stop here. And I'm John Jenkins and I live in a measure of fear. Why? Because I can't get close to anybody else. i got two great nephews that we love dearly and will get most of what we have if we have anything when we pass. And I love being around them, but I can't get, I can't, I can't let myself get too close. Why? Why? Because I can't go through it again. I'll never have grandchildren. We'll never have grandchildren. We'll never have the pitter-patter of feet running to a Christmas tree in our home. Neither one of our boys had kids. It was just two. Yeah, it's frustrating. And I get a little aggravated. See, I'm telling you how you need to be. Take the mask off. Quit acting like everything's okay because I don't want to seem unspiritual. There's nothing spiritual about living a lie. (laughs) Yeah, I'm frustrated. Yes, I'm depressed. Who wouldn't be? When you walk by a picture hanging on a wall, you know you'll never see them in this life again. And when you know what people think about them because they had issues with addiction and what the church thinks and what the judgment is. But I got news for you. We all fall short of the glory of God. No matter the carnality of their lives and the failures, they both loved the Lord. They knew Jesus. They couldn't kick their problems. Well... My Bible says, no, your Bible don't. That's a problem. You got a Bible. I hate it when somebody says, my Bible says, like they wrote the thing. You're not an authority. Most of us know just enough to be stupid. And we've been convinced that God expects us to walk around with wings on our shoulders. All these songs we sung talked about, He is not the least bit upset that I'm aggravated. He's not up there saying, Oh Lord, John's waking up again. He's going to be depressed again today. He's going to be aggravated. He's going to be frustrated. He's going to sit and whine because of the... Phone ain't ringing for him to come and preach places. He's going to be upset because God's not doing that. He's not intimidated by the mess in my life. So why should I care if it bothers you? Now, if I was to ask Heath and Madison, whom I love them both dearly, I was that blessed to be at their wedding, and I think they are a great couple, and I respect them, and I, I and I honor them for what they do. And if I was to ask them, "How's your marriage?" They both say, "Great, great." Oh, we're still in love. Look at him; he's got his arm around her. But I've noticed since last time I'm here that gap where they're sitting. <laughs> yeah, they think, "Oh, we're just so happy." I mean, we're in love, and this, that, and the other, and. And I, all the time, both of them think about, you know, I got, I got some mad at him the other day. Or when, when, when I got home and, and she hadn't done it. Uh, all these little things. But here on the outside, it's, woo! Praise God, we're just as happy as if we had good sense. Why do we act like that? Why do we feel that we can't let people know that we're human? And we wonder why people don't come to church. It's simple, because they can't live up to the standards you set that you don't live up to. I used to have a board member, church, first church I pastored. I had a board member. Oh, he loved bluegrass gospel music. Anybody else here love bluegrass gospel music? I'll pray for y'all. He loved it, and... And I run into a guy that he played with all the time, and that guy told me, he said, 
You know, oh Kent, he he invited me to come down to church there any Sunday night, and 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 I could play, and 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 he would sing, and I said, you're welcome, you're welcome to come any any Sunday night, and I'll let you play. Uh, uh, yeah, I may go outside, but no, I'll let you play. But if you want Kent to sing, you better make sure he's coming. Because he don't come to church very often. He said, oh my God, I thought Kent went every time the doors was open. I said, no, that's just what he wants you to think. But he didn't. I said, you're welcome to come, but you better call Kent if you want him to sing. Because we try to be something we're not. You don't have to make excuses. Like one guy told me, God told him it was okay for him to ride his horse on Sunday evenings. So he didn't have to come to church. I said, man, just, just, just say I don't want to come. Don't blame it on God and the horse. Just stay home. Don't bring that junk in here. God ain't told you to stay on. You can ride. He ain't keeping church attendance to begin with. Excuse my grammar. Where do we come up? Why can't we just be us? I get aggravated because I, I think now I'm going to be a little bit fleshy. I got the mic. I get a little frustrated because I don't think people give us the compassion we need for losing both of our children. Nobody wants to talk about it. I understand. I had a preacher tell me, brother, I just don't know what to say. I understand, but say that. Because what you see here this morning, somebody making jokes, that's my personality. That's who I am. I can do that at a funeral. That's just who I am on the outside. That's the mask. I used to drive a bus in Wythe County before we moved back to Princeton. Last summer, I looked at Millie after we buried our son and I said, Honey, I'm dreading school to start. She knows I love to drive a school bus. I love my kids. She said, Honey, why do you love to drive? I said, But I don't want to see the other drivers. And she said, Why? And I said, Because I know, I know they don't know what to say and they're going to expect me to be the me before school went out. So I finally decided I'm going to let him off the hook. I'm just going to be me. I'm just going to, when I see him, because we gather, you know, either on the bus if the weather's bad or sitting out in chairs waiting on the kids to be dismissed. It had been all summer. He died two weeks after school was out. I went back. Nobody said anything. So I just sat down and said something funny. To let them off the hook. I'm tired of doing that. I'm tired of gathering with family and when we try to talk about our sons, they change the subject. It's because they're uncomfortable. I understand, but hey. I don't like being depressed. Because what you see right here will not be what goes home. I'm just being honest. I wish you would be. The principal that hired me in Wythe County, she hadn't changed schools. And uh, we had developed a real good friendship. I was her confidant. She would come to me and actually talk about things. And this past Easter, uh, she she got my address, and I didn't know why. I thought she might send a card or something. I didn't know why. But, man, I got a box of candy because she knew I loved candy. I tell people I live a balanced life because my bubble's right in the middle. She knew I loved candy. She sent a whole drawer full that my two great nephews ate. Except for, she sent two Easter bunnies. You know. That's what Easter's all about, is the rabbit, right? Yeah. 
the bunnies at Easter. Or it could be like the little girl, they asked her what what the resurrection meant, and she said that's when Jesus come out of the tomb on Easter morning, saw his shadow, and there were six more weeks of bad weather. She sent me all this candy, and there was two rabbits. And we ate the first one. It was solid. Man, I'll tell you, that's good chocolate. Break that thing off and gnaw on that thing for a few minutes, you know. And eat that. I know y'all don't eat chocolate. And a few days later, I said, we're going to eat that other rabbit. And I got it out and snapped it, and it was hollow on the inside. You ever get one like that, hollow on the inside? Who wants to pay three ninety nine for air? I mean, we'll pay two ninety nine for water, but I'm not going to pay three ninety nine for air. And it made me think, that's just like me. On the outside, I look the same. I go to a cookout, I look the same. I come to church, I act the same. But I'm going to be honest with you right now, if you cracked me open, there's nothing in there. Just empty, just broken, just crumbs. You say, well, you ought to get over the loss of your children. You mind your own business. We've had people say, nine out of ten people go the other way when this happens. Leave the church. Get mad at God. Oh, why in the world do I want to do that? That's the only help I have. That's the only hope I have of seeing them again. So you go through the stages of depression. You go through the denial or the stages of grief. And you get to the denial and the guilt and the anger and all that. And you end up at depression. And you get hung there. And people want you to snap out of it. Snap out of it. Don't think of you know, people who mean well say, honey, don't think of what you've lost. Think of what you still have. I go, because I'm the one that lost it. So life is hard. We lost a whole lot when that happened. And I'm just trying to encourage you, it's okay to come out of your shell. It's okay to be broken. It's okay to be a mess. It's okay to tell him what you don't like. Look at him. They done scooted closer since I said that. <laughs> I made them feel guilty. <laughs> it's okay to be you. God's not upset because your life's a wreck. God's not upset because... Things aren't going as well as you hoped they would. God's not upset because you don't have all the answers or you're not doing everything the church expects you to do. God's not mad. He's God. He didn't create you because He had a need. Now, you hear that today. That God can't do anything unless man lets him. What? What kind of God is that? He's still God. He knows what's going on. He's in control. He knows you're a wreck. He knows Scott back there with that silly grin on his face. He knows he's a mess under that shirt. He knows. You ain't hiding it from him. It's okay to be broken as long as you keep looking to Him. So what else are we going to do? I mean, we moved back to West Virginia where nobody knows us. We, we lived here our whole life, left 22 years ago. All the church pastors have changed. So nobody knows us. I don't expect my phone to be ringing off the hook. We still want to serve God. We're not going to quit doing that. Why would we quit? Why would we get mad? we got a story to tell. People may not want to hear it. They may not believe that we would 
open up and share the things that we have. So, we go where we can. She sings where she can. I do this where we can. The opportunities are few and very far between. That's all right. So we find other things to do. We've been visiting widows. We're going to be in Bible school this week. I don't know exactly what we're going to do. But you're going to see us here. Selling something Jewish. Spices. Well, see, I've been to Jerusalem. I, I can understand a little bit about that. I, we can help with that. I'd love to tell you I'm real excited about doing it, but it was Millie that volunteered. And she volunteered both of us. I tried to get Scott to come and pick her up every night, but he said he was too busy. So we'll be here this week. We're going to do what we can. Because what else are we going to do? Are we going to quit? No. Not going to quit. Not going to throw in the towel. I'll tell you one more thing, and then I will quit. The intimate side of God, our our last son, the, the one that spent time here, he was so depressed for the five years that his brother, it's, it's just, they both are 39 and they both died in June, almost five years to the day. He lived with us. He had some issues, health and exterior issues. And to make a long story short, when the police come to our home, 5 to 12 on Sunday night, and told us they had found him, I called my family to let them know, because he had been missing since Friday. This was on Sunday night. They all began to gather into the house. The next morning, my sister said, some of the family's asking me, do you have life insurance? How many of you know they don't bury for free? And I said, well, actually, I do. I said, several years ago, we had a pastor friend. Ironically, his name was, he had a son. His name was also Matt. And uh, he had taken his life. And we were all chipping in to help pay for his funeral expenses. And I thought then, I knew my son had struggles. I said, it won't cost much to buy, much to buy a little life insurance policy in case something happened. Well, ten years later... Something happened, so I had made preparations in case it did, so we didn't need help. She said, some of the family wants to give you money if you need it to bury him. I said, no, we're good. And that's all that was ever said about it. But then, one by one, one, envelope by envelope, person by person, gifts started coming in, stuff we never asked for. From people, places, churches. It was like God was saying, listen, I know Matt was broken. I know he was heartbroken. And we've since then had a preacher come to us and say, in which we believe, I know it don't meet the church criteria. That's all right. We had a preacher come to us and say, listen, God showed me that moments before Matt took his own life, he had finally prayed and made peace with God. And said it was like God was holding him and giving him peace. So we're okay. We don't worry about that. Now, you may you may go home and theologically analyze that and compare it to your line, but that's okay. I, I'm not impressed with your line any more than I'm impressed with mine. I've tried to erase mine. But anyhow, it just kept coming from the strangest places. And the funeral cost, we didn't try to go cheap. We tried to give him what we thought uh, we had given our oldest son. Uh, uh, I'd already bought cemetery plots. We went right after he was buried and, and bought headstones. Bought him a headstone. And all this stuff come about $13,000. Maybe thirteen two. And when the total of all those envelopes come up, it was about $13,100. It was like God was saying, listen, 
I got him. I know your heart's broke. And I know God could have turned things around there, but He didn't, and that's not my call. But God was saying, like, look, I got you back. So we were able to take what we saved and move to Princeton to get back home closer to family. Because this is where we're from. Because Millie's health is not good. She doesn't drive. And we have family here. So that's our story. That's us taking off our mask. That's admitting to you we have depressed days. That's admitting to you that our lives have been totally shattered. We don't know what tomorrow's going to be. Right now, I have one more appointment scheduled into July, and I went months without anything. And I'm going to be honest with you, the pastor that has that is the one your pastor runs around with. That Tennell guy from McDowell County. He's a great guy. But I know both of them, NR and Jim, have put me in their pulpits out of friendship. It's not because they think I'm a dynamic speaker. It's because they want to encourage me. But when that runs out, there's nobody. There's nobody else out there. We're still going to serve the Lord. Going to do it. Don't care. Don't care. So if you're here this morning, if y'all want to play just a little bit, I don't want to leave without giving you opportunity. I want to pray with you as a church, but I want to pray with you individually. Not as someone who has everything right, but someone who's just as, whose life is just as struggling as yours is. If I can tell you, you can make it. You don't have to worry. If people judge you, just let them judge. They're the ones with the problem. But if you've got pain in your life, not just grief. Grief comes from a variety of losses, not just the loss of a person. It can come from the loss of a career. She lost her career because of her health. I lost my bus driving. I can't drive in West Virginia for very, for certain reasons based on my health. Our lives have totally changed. We're together 24-7. And we still sit close together. Mainly because we hold each other up. It's okay if you got a problem. It's okay if you need prayer. If you're here this morning, would you stand? If you're here this morning and you don't even have to tell me what it is, you need to tell somebody. You need to talk to somebody if you have problems. We are in the process of starting a grief class here. We are working on that. But if you need prayer today, you don't have to give me details. If you just want somebody to hug you, Millie will hug you. She's a professional hugger. And we'll pray. We'll just pray that God will bless you and help you and strengthen you and keep you and as 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 they play something